0: Denver Sports Station 104.3
1: The Fan presents Matt Smith and Chad Andrus
0: Good morning and welcome to your Sunday morning on Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan. Matt Smith and in for Kyle Reese today is Chad Andrus. How you doing, Chad? I like this, Ty.
1: This is like the um, people with a pulse version of the easy like Sunday morning Dan Jacobs intro. Exactly. Yeah, this is the people who have advanced a few centuries. (laughs) Or just uh, aren't on their... Daily dose of, you know, the six medications they gotta <laughs> take on Sunday morning to get out of bed. Right? They're not quite there yet. And I'm not begrudging those that do that,
0: right? When you chase it, it beats you- the alternative. When you're chasing the Lipitor with the Zantac in the morning. Exactly. Good job, Ty. Ty Fuji behind the glass. You know, when I was driving in this morning, I saw a bunch of people in hot air balloons. And I've been down to the Balloon Fiesta in New Mexico, but I've actually never been up in a hot air balloon before. Have you ever done that? Nope. Would you ever have any interest in doing that? I think so.
1: I think I would be extremely uncomfortable while it was happening,
0: but I think I might try it. I would do that before I would skydive. Yeah, I've always wanted to spontaneously go skydiving. I'm not like a huge go-out-there-and-just-like, you know, full-send guy, but one day I'd like to go skydiving. But today I saw a parachuter like right below the hot air balloon as the hot air balloon was descending down, and I was thinking to myself, I wondered if it was one of those people, have you ever seen those people who skydive off the hot air balloon, where they like run off and jump off the hot air balloon? I don't know how they get up there. I've always, do you know what I'm talking about, Ty? Have you ever seen that, where people like actually run and jump off the hot air balloon and free fall into a skydive? I've actually never seen that. Yeah, it's I mean, super I, cool, I man. it could be done, but yeah. I, I just never, never thought of anyway, that. Anyway, so I thought me. that that was maybe what had happened, and I was like, well, that person is cooler than me, man. That is, that is somebody who's attacking this Sunday morning. I like,
1: I like going by the paragliders in Golden sure,
0: off yeah. of the side of the mountain.
1: Like, I think that's cool. Maybe I would try that first before I graduated and went further up. Um, if you have anxiety about heights and falling and things like that, there is a Red Bull video. Mm-hmm. You know, all the crazy Red Bull. Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. A- action, what do they call them? Um, thrill sports, whatever they are. Uh, there is a Red Bull creation of a skate park ramp in a hot air balloon. And someone is skating it. Yeah, and those going guys are up, nuts, man. Going up the edges mm-hmm. while in a hot air balloon. That's badass. That. No, that's that's really high anxiety to watch. Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, yeah.
0: That, you know what I get that from? I get that from... swimming
1: with sharks territory.
0: Yeah, I get that from those videos of the people riding the bikes on the top of a mountain. You know, like they're mm-hmm. riding the bikes on the ridge. And I'm like, why? Wait, you, you really need that? Like, uh, anyway, anyway. I just thought it was funny walking in and I wondered if Chad had ever been up in a hot air balloon. One day I'll get up there. One day I'll get up there. I don't know if I will.
1: I think I, I'm willing to entertain the idea. Skydiving, I think, is out at this point. I might do the indoor There's skydiving. There's like year olds that go of, skydiving. Yeah, could great for them, right? <laughs> if I if I get to that level of, you know, idgaf yeah. when I'm older, yeah. maybe okay. Maybe my perspective will change. Right now, as a middle aged father
0: of three young children, yeah. that's not on the table for me. I've looked into that indoor skydiving, and it looks fun, except you're not in the tube for very long. You kind of have to, like, continue to do sessions. I'd rather just go for it. But then you don't know who's strapped to your back. It's like, do I like this guy? i got to talk to him now, make an awkward small my talk. my life in their hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, just something I was thinking about this morning. The Nuggets wrapped up Summer League last night. The Summer Nuggets happened so fast, had them a blast, And actually, you know, I think they may actually end up being one of the storylines to come out of Summer League. Calvin Booth drafted pretty well at the end of the first round, early second round. And the surprise of Summer League was Hunter Tyson out of Clemson, 37th overall. This is a kid that was basically a double-double guy his fifth year in college, like 15 points, just under 10 rebounds. But he also shot 40% from the field from three, excuse me, 40% from three and the consistency with which he played over Summer League, to me, was extremely impressive.
1: To do it in every game, I think, yeah, is every one of them. what
0: yeah. has to give you confidence going forward that he really
1: could crack the rotation or have a chance at cracking the rotation or at the very least be there when there's injury or illness or whatever the case may be and guys are out. Um, it's interesting because I think Nuggets fans and – you know, definitely me. I fall into this category. Are in a place that we're, we're not sure how to act. We're not yeah. sure how to react. What, what do I do we with we, my hands? Exactly. What do I do with my hands? Like it. <laughs> it and I was talking with uh, with a buddy, a big a big uh, Nuggets uh, supporter, and someone who's been around the team and covers them for a long time. And even before the draft, we were kind of like, yeah, kind of whatever they do. I I think I'm comfortable with it. I yeah. don't know what they're going to do because they had two picks. And we're talking about possibilities of trading up and what it might look like or if they drafted three players or what they might do if they traded the picks and, and tried to get a deal to add another player. And we were both kind of like, you know, whatever they decide, I'll probably be good with it. Like, they've earned the trust. They've earned mm. the confidence. And, you know, we'll see. We'll we'll let them pick. And then we'll hear from them and get the logic behind the decision and the direction. And we'll go forward with confidence. But I think seeing what Hunter Tyson did in the summer league, and to a lesser extent Jalen Pickett or Julian Strother, um, it gives you optimism as to knowing the organization is not only a good place, a better place than they've ever been as NBA champions, but they know what they're doing and what specific things they are looking for when they're adding to this roster and I think that's the most encouraging Uh, I'll love to see Hunter Tyson get time because I what I've said from the moment Bruce Brown announced he was going to the Indiana Pacers and then it followed up with Jeff Green leaving and, and I had kind of thought this even before those were official the regular season next year is going to be an exercise in figuring out who can be a 16-game playoff player. Mm. Because even though they won, and they won quite impressively going 16-4, and four, they only had an eight-man rotation at sometimes 7.5. Christian Brown didn't really play in the Lakers series. And I was saying at that point in the Western Conference Finals, however it ends up this year, the Nuggets need to have more than eight guys that they trust going into the playoffs next year. Because out of their 20 games, they had two games where they really had to deal with foul trouble of any kind with Aaron Gordon and Jokic, and they didn't have any injuries. They played two games in Phoenix where guys were sick, but they still played. So I think the regular season is going to be an exercise in figuring out who can we trust when the playoffs come. Hunter Tyson clearly has a leg up
0: and going, yeah, I'm going to be one of those guys and I'm going to keep showing it to you after what he showed in summer league. In five games, he averaged nearly 21 points per game. He averaged six rebounds, just under two assists, while shooting 54% from the field and 50% from three. He's six eight. He was averaging 3.6 makes over the five games. I mean, he got up eight threes per game damn near. I mean, that those are impressive numbers. And again, I was saying this last week, to me... He's very Christian Brown-esque. You could maybe trade a little of Christian Brown's athleticism for some of Hunter Tyson's skill and maybe polish, but I I really think that he has a legitimate chance to crack the rotation. He and Chancha Chanchar probably compete for minutes in camp, was my thought after watching Summer League. I think what ultimately, and no one will
1: say this, but the way Hunter Tyson processes the game and plays with... Such a level of energy and competitiveness—that's what ultimately you had hoped and wanted Michael Porter to do,
0: oh, because God. he's got the elite level talent. If that thought didn't cross my mind, if that thought it didn't cross my mind multiple but, times in summer league, but
1: that—and that's what 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 I've said, what many of us have said all along—is if Michael Porter reaches his potential, if he taps into being a complete basketball player at six ten and not just hanging out at the three-point line and cuts and moves and works as hard as he can the entire game, the way you see Hunter Tyson play, and again, it's Summer League. I get it. I'm not saying Hunter Tyson's better than Michael Porter. I'm not saying that. But if Michael Porter played with the same level of intensity. With the principles that Hunter Tyson and plays. understanding the- of the game oh, that Hunter God. Tyson does. That is, that is the key to the Nuggets reaching their ceiling. Yeah. That is the key to winning two or three or more titles in the
0: Jokic era. And that's what I've been consistent in saying for three years. And you're right. You I mean, you're spot on there. There's a lot of people who think that, look, I mean, MPJ, he was a great player last year, and he was. There was no doubt. He really, really stepped his game. He took the biggest jump over his professional career. I don't think anybody would argue that. But when you break the numbers down, you have to be more than a specialist. And Michael Malone talked about that during the NBA Finals. And we saw some more of that from him as the playoffs draw, drew on, getting to the glass, getting on the floor, But it's more than that. It's the savvy. And again, Hunter Tyson played five years in college. Michael Porter Jr. played, what, three games in college? Maybe two and a half? There was a certain amount of learning that he just never got. And then when he got to the pros, he never got to develop because he's on a team that's you know trying to compete for the playoffs every single year with a coach who has zero patience for guys who are just trying to figure it out. That's why it took so long. Then you added the injuries on top of it. That's a lot of adversity. But it wasn't just Hunter Tyson that played well. Julian Strother... The first round pick, 27 overall, he averaged 18 points per game, 34% from three, four rebounds, just under two assists. Look, there were a few games there where he really struggled, but the back half of Summer League, I thought he started to find a little flow, find his rhythm. I don't know exactly if he can find his way onto the floor as a contributor in year one, but there are things to like with his game, a lot of them. He didn't shoot it well and he's supposed to be
1: a shooter. So that's the the biggest concern when you watch that, but Christian Brown I don't think made a 3 all of Summer League last year. No, oh, yeah, he's <laughs> a better version. shooter than
0: Christian Brown immediately. I mean, last night yeah. he had 25 points, 9 rebounds, he was 8 of 16 and 5 of 11 from 3. I think the the most the, the highest level of expectation is going to be placed
1: on him because he was a first round pick sure. and people were also yeah. familiar with him because of Gonzaga and tournament runs. I don't think the average basketball fan, even if you watch a significant amount of college basketball, watched a whole lot of Penn State and Jalen Pickett or Clemson and, and Hunter Tyson. Sure. But they've watched Julian Strother play and play in NCAA tournament games. Right? right? So there's always going to be that attached to his name and his game. I hope they can find a way for all three of these guys to play. And again, that... That was my focus from the time the confetti dropped going forward, starting to look at next year, is let's see in the regular season, I don't care if you're the one seed in the West again, but if if you're a top four seed, you could have home court in the first round, the focus on winning enough games to be a top four, but... The bigger concern is finding nine
0: or ten guys that you're mm-hmm. going to be able to trust to be able to put in the game if you need to in the playoffs. Go. Yeah, that's a really good point because Jalen Pickett is another guy who stepped up and played well in summer league. I, wouldn't, I wasn't as overly impressed with him as others were. I think he's got a real, real physical game. He's a savvy player. I just don't know if it's going to click for him in year one. However he actually might have the best chance to earn some playing time over the other two, which is the most ironic part about it, simply because Denver's just not going to be as deep in the backcourt as they were last year. And really, they weren't that deep in the backcourt last year to start with, so I certainly have the same concerns. If they're going to run it back, it's got to be a different way. But they might not have a choice. I just don't know how sustainable it is to rely on Murray and Jokic to be playing that many minutes over another 16 game run off a short offseason. Jamal just committing to play for FIBA World Cup, the you know Team Canada. It's a lot of hoop, you know. I think Jokic will be on the, the
1: Team Serbia roster. I don't know how many minutes they'll play him, but I think he will play. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Yeah, honestly. I think that would be. I think his conscience. After being a two-time MVP and a finals MVP and an NBA champion, I don't think that his conscience will allow him to opt out of duty for his country. I agree that, that, that's just yeah. my interpretation of that. I don't know that for a fact. So I think they'll both be playing, and you're right about that. The interesting thing about it is and we're going to do revisionist history, and we're going to remember this of about the playoff run where Bruce Brown was the backup point guard. He wasn't in the regular season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that no. wasn't his job. Right. And Reggie Jackson is going to get the first crack at this, coming off the bench behind Jamal Murray. Regardless of what Jalen Pickett does in training camp or how well he plays or how impressive he might be, he's going to be behind Reggie Jackson when the season starts. And Reggie Jackson will have the first opportunity. So just know that going in, if you're not real excited about that, that's something you're going to have to come to terms with as a a Nuggets fan. That's what you will be seeing through... The start of the season, November, December, January, and probably at least until the All-Star break, that when Jamal sits, Reggie Jackson will have the
0: keys. Outside of, you know, that, and and I'd like to also mention Colin Gillespie in this conversation, missed most of last year with an injury, you know, two-way guy. He has not popped to me in summer league. I know he's coming off of that injury I never thought he was an NBA guy in the first place. He reminds me of like a Archie Diacno type of guy. You know, just at the college level, kind of a glue guy, do everything. But I just don't know if his game's going to translate to the pros. He had a very up-and-down summer league at best. So, And the other one to, to mention is Peyton Watson. He played two games. First game was much better than the second, my opinion. I think he is an interesting option for their rotation. And And here's the thing I want to mention about Calvin Booth. You talked about the picks, and we don't know if they're going to move up and use them, and I was disappointed they didn't consolidate those to move up and get somebody who was maybe profiled a little bit higher, could contribute a little sooner. But in fact, the way that Calvin Booth went about it, by just throwing the book at the wall and said, okay, look, I got Peyton Watson. I got three picks here, you know, between 23 three picks, you know, within a 10-pick range. I'm going to throw in the book at the wall and I'm seeing what sticks here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to draft experienced guys who played three, three, four, five years even in college, guys who had played a lot of minutes in big moments, guys who can actually step up and contribute right away because they're more polished out of the gate versus some of these younger guys. Maybe you take in the top. I don't know, if they packaged some of those picks together, maybe they could have moved up into the early twenties. You know, so for me, I actually liked the way they went about it. But again, the point you brought up is extremely valid. November, December, you know, October, November, December. Those months are all about figuring out who's a dude and who's going to, you know, Grand Rapids. I
1: think the approach from the front office led by Calvin Booth was was pretty sharp because if you look at the NBA in general and what gets picked, it is really young guys that profile athletically off the charts and they can take a chance and see if they develop. And that's really what happens outside of the lottery. They look for the best athleticism they can find and roll the dice on it and hope they can turn them into a player. Mm. That's that's the NBA draft. Well, anything outside yeah. Anything outside of the lottery. So usually the profiles... Of guys like Jalen Pickett and Hunter Tyson are more of the undrafted guys or the guys who sign uh, deals maybe in Europe or Australia and then play so well they make their way back to the NBA on a a small minimum contract and then they earn a spot and they've worked hard and they've they've earned what they get and they stick in the NBA Mm. for whether it be six, eight, nine years. Yeah. So what Calvin Booth has done is he flipped the thinking on it and said, we're in the Jokic era with an opportunity to win multiple championships. And instead of looking at what the athletic upside is of guys that might develop down the road and and could be a real big hit with a pick that is in the end of the first round or a second round pick, let's look at the profile of the guys that weren't picked or were super late picks but stuck in the NBA. Mm. And that profile is guys that understand how to play the game and have really good motors and play hard all the time. And that's the profile of Jalen Pickett and Hunter Tyson yeah. specifically. Yeah. So they have a better chance of playing and sticking than a young guy who has the athletic or the talent upside oh, does of course, in a yeah. franchise like this. And there's the added bonus of, Hey, there's a chance they can contribute right away to this thing. But, but, the philosophy, I don't think, is is so much in how do we repeat next year. Of course, they're trying to win and win another title. They're trying to win as many as they can. It's obvious. I think the, the philosophy in building out the roster in these selections is what gives us the best opportunity to win more than one while Jokic is under contract. Yeah, sure. So it's not just next year. And guys like that that have a better chance to stick – and have six, eight, ten-year NBA careers give them a better chance than somebody who's 19
0: but is a super athlete. And, and it's also about the cap. Because with the new CBA, with the installation of the second apron, you can't hang up there too long. I mean, you have to find a way to create a cost-controlled winner. I mean, we've been talking about that with the Avs and their hard cap. But now, with this second apron, and what is the second apron? 10% of the salary cap Above the salary cap, if you spend that much, you are potentially you know, uh, um vulnerable to losing draft picks, not being able to sign veterans on the buyout market, large fines. I'll tell you this, the Kronkies don't want to be there. I, I can guarantee you that. I mean, look, if they have to do it and bite the bullet while they go compete for another one, that's fine. It's just not going to be a multi-year thing. And it's not just them. It's most owners who don't want to be there. So certainly you have to be smarter about a couple other NBA storylines to hit. Apparently, LeBron James is going to be switching his jersey number back from 6 to 23 in honor of Bill Russell. So, you know, he woke up this season and said, look, 6 isn't working for me in L.A. <laughs> I'm How, over it. You, I, I really don't care. Just just pick one number, man. Like do Be you, done with it. Do you use your calendar on your phone? Like, uh, it, it, yeah, it, sometimes. Everything. Yeah. No, it's you're, not like that.
1: Okay. But, but you're, you're a single guy. Sure. And... You kind of know what you have on your plate and what you're doing. You don't have to coordinate no. a schedule no. with a significant other and the kid's stuff and, and all those other things. Okay. No. So in my household, the the Google calendar is everything. Okay. Because we have to know what's next for what kid or Makes what yeah. what the spouse has and who's working where and the timing and okay. The Google calendar is everything. I feel like LeBron has his Google Calendar, or I guess iPhone, whatever. Sure. Um, and it's like once a week there is a notification of be newsworthy. Yeah, you know, get your you know, grab a headline. That's, That's right. what it says. As it he is being a, talked and about you when, today. When he wakes up in That's the morning, right. it's, right. it's it, what do I have to do for someone to talk about me today? This That's is right. the biggest non-story. Ever, and it's on every sports media outlet because he knows what are the other choices. Are we talking about Wimbledon? No. Are we talking
0: about Rory McElroy winning the Scottish Open? No. Are we talking about baseball? Of course not. We could be talking about Wimbledon because uh, Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz are in the middle of it right now. But you're right. I mean, it is a non-story. I just thought it was interesting. The other it, thing, It's the retirement thing to steal the Nuggets thunder after you're being over swept.
1: It's... You know, having to speak from Monaco about Michael Malone and more importantly, the other comments that were made at the parade Mm. about that. It's just like once a week, you know, we brought up Wimbledon. Once
0: a fortnight, how do I get myself into the headlines? There you go. What did you think about Darvin Ham saying it ain't over with Mikey or whatever he said? Darvin Ham. I just, you know what I laugh at? The Lakers have talked more for a team that got swept than anything I've ever seen in sports. I've never seen a team get beaten like that and then talk as if, like, they owe the— No, no you don't owe them anything. Well, this, this is this is
1: the bully finally gets punched in the mouth and right. then he goes crying. That's right. That's a right. puff out his chest. Yeah. That's right. Well, it did not really hurt that bad anyway. Yeah. Um, but, too, look, I, I love Darvin Ham. Uh, I remember Darvin Ham as a player. He's the nicest guy in the world. Um, I got to know him a little bit and was around him when he was coaching in the G League and I was working in there, and he was always the nicest guy. Um, I I think he's a great dude. I I wish the best to Darvin Ham outside of any series against the Nuggets. Um, But he's wrong here. It ain't over. Yeah, you know it, what it is. it's it's over. Mm-hmm. You got swept. The team that beat you won the championship. End of story. It is over. Next season is a new year. It's done. It, the, yes, it is over. And there was an emphatic ending to it. It's done. He's wrong on this.
0: Yeah, he is wrong on this. <laughs> The other NBA note, I don't know if you saw what happened at the American Century Championship out in uh, Nevada yesterday, but Stephen Curry, hole-in-one. This is a few days before, you know, or a few days before he was rolling it in, putting it behind the pin, rolling it back to like two feet. It's a good player. If Steph wanted to make a real shot at the tour, I don't know if he could make the PGA Tour, but he'd have a shot at sticking around the Corn Ferry Tour. He's a hell they're of a player. They're
1: playing up in uh, Longmont. This weekend, Corn Ferry up right? in Loveland, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loveland, uh, TPC, TPC Colorado. Colorado. Um, I was going to go yesterday. Uh, we changed plans and did something else, and said I was going to go watch those guys. I I think yes, if he if he decided I'm not going to play basketball anymore and put a good 12, 18 months into golf, yes, he and with his name, obviously, he would be given an opportunity because it would bring eyeballs. But I think he could legitimately compete on a
0: high level he's he's a pretty good player oh he's a hell of a golfer he's a he's a real golfer that is still going on today right They've, i think so yeah i think they play through sundays yeah they do play through sundays i just wanted to double check here yeah they play through sundays yeah okay so they they are the leaders go off today at 12 30 up in loveland and i'll tell you this if you can't get a tea time for today or you, you've got kids that are big golfers take them up there seriously you want kids to become diehard golf fans. The way these guys hit the ball, even on the Corn Ferry Tour, is ridiculous. And now that course, you know, it's pretty it's it's pretty open, so there's not a lot of shade. So you know, it's going to be a hot one today. So make sure you account for it. But I played I played that course a couple of times. I got some friends up there in the in the, in the clubhouse. But you know, it, it's a nice track. It's a nice track. They're still building out the development around it. But I tell you, if you got kids that love golf, take them, take them. You have a great time up there and watch some amazing golf. And looking at the leaderboard, you got. A guy at 15 under, you got two at 14, one at 13, two at 12. You're gonna have a nice finish here on a Sunday up in Loveland at TC. uh, Birthed. Excuse me. All the, all the Loveland, the birthed people get upset when you call birthed Loveland, Loveland birthed. Sorry. It's in birthed technically. It's just up there, you know, on your way to Fort Collins. Matt Smith in with Chad Andrews this morning. Ty Fuji with us as well. We roll on. John Elway spoke on Sean Payton, gave his vote of approval. Surprise, surprise. But is there something that Russell Wilson can take from Patrick Mahomes? That's next.
1: At Denver Sports One Hundred 1043, the fan presents Matt Smith and Chad Andrus.
0: Well, John spoke this week, and whenever John speaks, we better listen. At least that's what they tell me. Elway was also playing the American Century Championship out there in Nevada, and he did an interview with Denver 7. And he basically gave, you know, full-fledged support for Sean Payton and said, look, he, he believes in him, he's excited about it, and he's excited for the potential of Sean Payton and Russell to work together. And they talked about the potential of Russell getting back to being Russell Wilson, and he said, yeah, he thinks an effective run game will help that as well, Chad. So Sorry, I had to
1: chuckle because yeah, the thought that ran through my mind first is, could you imagine if he didn't? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was <laughs> their, like, their I hate that. Sean no, Payton, what a horrible hire. These guys don't hire. know what they're doing. What a terrible hire. Yeah, $4.6 billion, they have no clue. <laughs> um, no. Um, yeah, of course he's going to say that, right? Yeah. Um, it felt genuine, though. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, he's back in his happy place. He's on the golf course. He hasn't been at the
0: um, the the Tahoe event in a few years. Um, I no reason to,
1: not to think that though. I right?
0: would love to be popular enough to play that tournament. That tournament looks like a blast and a half. Oh my that, god! That one or Pebble Beach Pro Am? What would you rather be a part American of? American Century, not even close. Not even remotely close. You're right there on the water. You hang out in a boat all day. You're really not though. Why? I've, I've played that course. I played Edgewood. The only holes that are by the water are those last two. Yeah, but the co- no, everything else is in the woods. Okay, but the course is is close to the lake. You yeah. can at least get there. At, at Pebble Beach, what am I going to do? Spend- the ocean? Yeah, okay, but I'd rather be no, on the Oh No, beach. I'd rather be on the lake. I'd, I'd far rather play. I've played Edgewood, and I haven't played Pebble, so that's part of it. Okay. Um, it's not about the golf for me. It's about if I'm playing those tournaments, it's about the experience. Would I love to play Pebble Beach one day? Absolutely. I love golf. I would love to play Pebble Beach. Amazing course. However... For that experience, you have a, a, a boatload more fun at the American Century, it looks like, on television. I don't know. I think I'd have a lot of fun playing Bobby. Okay, um, all right, all right. Um, well, agree yeah. to disagree.
1: Um, you know, of, cor- of course, Elway's going to be on board. Like, what, what is he going to, to say? I think um, when you say the perfect fit to help Russell Wilson come back... Um. His words, not mine. Yeah, I think... You can get away with saying that because what were the other options? No one has a list of other options that were seriously considered or were campaigning for the job or there isn't some high-profile proven name. Well, I mean, they looked at Harbaugh. They tried to get Domingo Ryans. and And if Harbaugh were here, would he have still said it was the perfect fit? Probably. Maybe, yeah. Because he'll run the ball and he'll take the weight off of Russell's shoulders, and mm. he'll you know a coach that's been to the Super Bowl, right? It's the same profile as I see Sean where you're Payne. going. I see where you're going. Right? Um, look, I, I just I just don't think that there is the deep thought put into these short interviews that guys have to do. They they say the nice thing and they say the thing that um, whether it's it's nice or not, right? It's um, the easiest way to get through the interaction, and it satisfies both parties. He comments on the situation. The news outlet gets the name of Elway commenting on it, and um, do I think you would have said the same thing if it were Jim Harbaugh? Yes. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's it probably would have been a little bit different. I'll I'll, I'll acknowledge that. Um, but in terms of the fit, yeah, I mean, who isn't on board with Sean Payton? Are there, uh, is there anyone out there right now who's just going, this is a terrible idea. This is There's no chance that this can be the fix for what is wrong with him. I haven't heard anyone say that.
0: Well, I, I don't know about that. I, I think that people are happy with the hire, but as far as fixing Russell Wilson, the jury is way out there, and, and fairly so. I mean, after you play so poorly and, and – underwhelm expectations to such a degree last year that, of course, I think the optimistic standpoint is yes, but I'll tell you, I've seen plenty of Broncos country, whether it be on the text line or talking to fans, that are still highly skeptical that Sean Payton's going to be able to do anything with Russell. I really have.
1: Okay, so but those people would have that opinion regardless of who the coach was. Absolutely. If it was Belichick or Parcells or Vince Lombardi, it wouldn't matter. I would agree, yeah. Because they're still going to be out on Russ. Uh Uh-huh. So, the, the coach is not so much the issue There is It's the quarterback and or the roster that he's working with. Sure. So what degree of change can the coach affect it? If you're one of those people that is completely out on Russ or out on the roster that they are building with Russ as the facilitator or quarterback, if you're one of those people that are completely out on it, then... How much can Sean Payton improve that? If you're saying they're going to go from 5-12 and 12 and Payton can take them to what, but it's not going to be anything significant because there are too many gaps, too many holes in the quarterback, ain't it? Right? I mean, that, that that's the only other option. You're either on board and think it has a chance – and Russ can go back to something closer to his old form and they can compete for a playoff spot or make the playoffs, you're either on that train or you're completely out on Russ and you're saying, Sean Payton, it doesn't It doesn't matter. Maybe they'll win two more games, whatever. Maybe they'll win three more games, but it's not going to affect anything
0: major. You're, you're in one so, of those two camps. I, I think you could be down the middle. I think you could be down the middle in saying that you believe that Russell's best days are behind him, but that Sean Payton can bring a discipline and he can get the Broncos back to relevancy and just plain old competence. I think he'd be in that camp as well. And maybe I see it as like, you know, you just mentioned, maybe you think they get two more wins and, you know, it doesn't really matter because of Russ. But at the end of the day, if you do put a less dysfunctional operation around him, if you can find a way to put him in a position to succeed, which I think we all expect Sean Payton to at least, you know, give the old college try at, right, at least give it his best shot, then, then I think there's a middle ground there. I do. I think it's – I'll tell you what. I have not seen people that think Russ will have a worse year than, he's gonna have, than he had last year. Boy, that would be brutal. Right, like I haven't seen anyone <laughs> saying that. That is something I haven't seen. I haven't seen anyone saying the Broncos will win less than five games next year. Which, I mean, Sean Payton, the worst he ever did was 7-9 three different times in New Orleans. But but when you talk about raising the baseline level of expectation for improvement, I think that there is some credence behind that. It's the idea that I've been playing with here for the last few weeks. It's that, look, I mean, you're tied for third in the league in penalties last year, fourth in the league pre-snap penalties. You couldn't turn the ball over. You had a couple there late in the year, but it just, you know... It, You know, it was better than it was in 2021, but there's still some work to go. You only had 12 sacks over your final nine games. If you can find a way to improve the play calling, improve the play design, the communication, your preparation at a baseline, we should expect them to take the field week one and look like a competent football team where I would offer that – Look, they did a lot of things against Seattle, but Javante Williams had eleven receptions in that game. I mean they they leaned on him heavy, so I think it was kind of masking what was really going on. If they don't look like a competent football team in the first month of the season,
1: I said week won not even not even first month, I mean week one well,
0: not here, a well here
1: here's why I afford them the first month with a new coach, and they're probably in my opinion. Their two biggest offensive threats that a defense would have to game plan for, both coming back off of injury. <laughs> the the two guys 100%. that uh, a defense would have to concern themselves with. That's why I afford them the first month. Well, who do you mean? Who do you mean? You mean Javante Williams and Tim Patrick. Yeah, but I mean, you also have Judy and Sutton and Dolce. I, I don't think defenses.
0: Well, they're looking at any Judy. S- they're looking at Judy. They're looking, but I don't think they lose any sleep. I really don't. He's going to have to do more, but I mean, he was one of the best wide receivers of the last six weeks of the season. So they will; he will have their attention. I promise that. While they may not lose sleep, mm-hmm. they'll definitely wake up thinking about him. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the reason I afford them the first
1: month is the NFL week-to-week league. We have to remind everybody every single year: you cannot just automatically assume things. Sure. Um, this team, if it has any hope of contending for a playoff spot making the playoffs absolutely positively has to start three and one. If they do not start three and one, they're not
0: going to the playoffs. Yeah, you gotta that that's that's part of it is like starting fast and how realistic is it? So so while I give you the notion that it's going to take them a little while to get this thing off the ground you know I don't know if you caught any of that quarterback series and if you did we'll talk about watch it I watched the
1: first episode
0: that's great that's all we really need to talk about because you could see how easily Kevin O'Connell looks like the better coach than Nathaniel Hackett was right it, it just leaps and bounds if you didn't already know that and, and but it was still even for Kirk Cousins in a team that was relatively the same team that Mike Zimmer was coaching you know That was a quicker assimilation, but it still took time. Like, they dominated the Packers in Week 1, fell off in Week 2, and they talk about that on the show. But for Sean Payton, like I said, I expect more competency. I don't expect a well-oiled machine in Week 1. This isn't a team that's going to go out and look like they're clicking on all cylinders against the Raiders the first week of the season. I just, I believe that the procedural issues you know, settling for a 64-yard field goal when the longest in stadium history was 58 up there at Lumen Field, you know, instead of going for fourth and five with your brand-new $50 million a year quarter. That type of stuff, I think they removed that from the equation. And if you look at it, the Broncos were four and nine in one-score games last year. So if you can just a couple of plays here or there, I, I do believe that there's a baseline – of expectation for improvement that they should meet in week one. We'll get into more of that here, but is there something that Russell Wilson can learn from Patrick Mahomes? This is a very interesting idea I heard floated out by an expert, and I want your take. We'll do that next. <essentials> the presents <worldểuulsos> inside and Chad Andrus. <naughty dragonlies> Shaka, hookah, 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 Girl, you just shaka, don't hookah, realize hookah, hookah, what you do to me when you hold hookah, me. That's you Chad Andrus so on your Patrick Sunday morning on Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan. Everything's alright. Is there something that Russell Wilson can learn from Patrick Mahomes? Any ideas what I might be talking about here, Chad? Just one thing? (laughs) Just one? Yeah, there's one specific thing. Probably not. So let me get to it. So I heard an expert bring up this notion. That Russell Wilson has not been able to solve the too high safety look that is now prevalent in the NFL. Obviously, this is the look that a lot of people attribute to Vic Fangio, right? And and part of, you know, his defensive schemes to slow down Mahomes, it's kind of taken the league by storm. You drop the safeties back even further, you take away the home run plays, and you make the offense nickel and dime you down the field. Now, I would say that in the early 2000s, we saw some technicians at that. I, I think Peyton among maybe, probably was the best in NFL history at that, at just absolutely taking whatever you want to give him and beating you no matter what. He was phenomenal with that, partially because he was the best pre-snap quarterback in NFL history. The way he read the field, the way he operated the line of scrimmage, nobody ever did it anywhere close. But Mahomes last season at the bye week, or the season before, excuse me, not last year, the season before at the bye week, had to make a decision. He had 11 interceptions, I believe, at the bye week, and teams had started dropping that second safety, taking away the home run ball to Tyreek Hill, and saying, just beat us underneath. And it took Mahomes a while, because Mahomes impatient guy. You know, if you watch that series on Netflix, you can see this dude's a competitor. He wants it all. But he learned it. But he learned how to take the underneath stuff and still beat you. Now, he didn't finally, you know, get to the mountaintop in year one of having to figure out that lesson midseason, but year two, they won the Super Bowl and it made him a better quarterback. And when I heard the notion that Russell hasn't solved the too high safety, I'm thinking back to it and going, wow, you know, that there, there may be something to that. I mean, think about the success that he had in Seattle. We all knew him, the moon ball, the deep shots to Lockett and Baldwin and Metcalf and, but really you kind of peel back the onion on that. He led the league in deep ball attempts last year with 87. A lot of those were desperation, but he was only 18th in completion percentage. Okay, well, I started to think about that. I think it's something to noodle on. I think it's fascinating the role that the Denver Broncos have played in
1: this kind of philosophical switch in the NFL. Because if you go back far enough, it wasn't necessarily the too high safety, but it was the concept of keep everything in front of you Mm. and make a team go all the way down the field that Mike Shanahan played defense. Like, he always did that. He was like, make them go all the way down the field because they will make a mistake. Yeah, Ben, don't break. Somebody will jump off sides. Somebody will hold. They will misread a play, and there'll be an incompletion. And at some point, we will get a stop, or we will force a field goal, and that's all we have to do. And Shannon played that way on defense twenty years ago, mm. and it worked for a long time until Peyton Manning and Tom Brady came into the league. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, and then it changed, right? Because the quarterbacks reading pre-snap and taking the dink and dunk went all the way down the field and didn't make mistakes and score touchdowns with 16 play drives. <laughs> and and it changed. And that changed things for Shanahan and the way things were approached and how the, the back end of his head coaching career finished up because of the way he had always approached things defensively as much mm-hmm. as he's known for offense. Um, but what you're talking about with Russ and Fangio doing that to a, a large extent to limit big plays... I think is entirely accurate, and whether it's impatience or just um this is my biggest strength, and we have to find a way to include it into the game plan and play to that more often if it's that line of thinking you can call that impatience, I suppose um one hundred percent accurate I do think, however that um. The Broncos' lack of offensive productivity for the last seven years is also a major factor in this, whether you're talking about Russ or anyone else, because they have been so inept offensively that teams coming into games know all we have to do is not let them get 50, 60, 70-yard touchdown plays, and we're going to win because – They're not good enough to control the ball and run down the field, march it down our throat, and score consistently. Consistently. They're going to score 15 points a game because that's what they've done. So if we don't give them home runs, we're not going to lose the game, and that's been the approach from other teams' game
0: planning. Yeah, you know, I think it's fascinating because if you – evaluate it on the surface alone it may seem like reducing it down to its most simple form but if you look at what Denver's done bringing in Sean Payton a lot of what he did with Drew Brees was maximize what they gave you underneath you know you're not always hitting deep shots now you can set them up but if you can have an efficient passing game the short passing game then you can really start to open up the field more and where Russ was maybe one of his worst last year was the play-action game. Second worst completion percentage for play-action passes in the league last year for Russ, just over 50%. If you're not hitting those shots enough, you probably don't have a dynamic offense because that's a big part of what they were trying to do. Now Sean Payton comes in, he hires Joe Lombardi, and I think part of the reason that Joe Lombardi didn't really work out with the Chargers is is he wasn't capitalizing on Justin Herbert's strengths he was making Justin Herbert play underneath and taking that little stuff instead of, you know, Justin Herbert. if Russ isn't Justin Herbert. If the Broncos had Justin Herbert, you, you screw that. Let's just huck it wherever, right? I mean, that guy can make every throw in a book. But until Russ— Throw 30-yard outs. Why not? Why not? <laughs> he can do it. He can do it. But I think if you look at Peyton and Lombardi, look, a lot of it remains to be seen, and they're going to have to prove it on the field first— but I do kind of see some of this philosoph- from a philosophical standpoint. And when you're on with Mark this week, I'd be curious. You're on with Mark this week, right? I'd be, curious- I'd be curious for you to pick his brain on that a little bit because I think there's something to it. I think there is something to it. And a lot of quarterbacks haven't figured it out yet. So Mahomes did, and he did it really well. You know, I mean, look at what they did. They just said, you know, all right, fine. We're we not going to play against this too high safety and pay Tyreek Hill $100 million. So here you go, Miami. You know, enjoy. And they have. But for Mahomes, I mean, he's so damn good. He'll turn, you know, a potato, you know, into a star. I'm just that's, Could you name me Kansas City's starting wide receivers this year? This year? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Kadarius Tony. Behind that, Sky Moore. Justin Watson and the rookie Rishi Rice. That's it. Who, who's approving? And they're favored to win the Super Bowl. And they're fa- that's just Mahomes is damn good. I want to get your takeaways from that at least a little bit of that first episode of the series that you saw. Um, Justin Simmons had some comments to make, and I want to talk about authenticity and what it really means. That's next.